The old saying goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterback. In an effort to see if that phrase can work in reverse, Cleveland has decided to start their season with no center fielder. In the words of Peter Griffin, now we play the waiting game. This is the Selby is Godcast. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field, back to Spencer, at the one and two, get the ball! Subscribe to Selfie is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable! What's up? I'm TJ Zupi. He is Zach Meisel. What's going on? Uh, inject the intro into my veins. Let's go. Love it. <laughs> I would be lying if I said I didn't listen to that more than uh, 20 times this weekend. Putting it together. I mean, it's special when you're putting something together and you're getting goosebumps as you're listening to it. You're thinking, yeah, yeah. That's true when it's good. I got my first vaccine dose recently and when I went in, the guy prepared to uh, stick the needle in my arm and I said, wait, 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 is this the Pfizer, the Moderna, or is it that Selby intro? <laughs> um, and he didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, can't imagine why. Yeah, and then of course, as you go through, you think, oh, this will sound good. This is the finished product. No, wait, wait, what if I add this? And then I go through, re-add something. Wait, wait, we need some siren. Well, put that in there. Oh, then you come out and you're just, you're just so excited. You can't wait to show it to everybody. I, I send it to you. I, I'm like, I'm stopping random people on the street. Hey, do you want to listen to this? It's awesome. <laughs> Has Bill Selby heard it yet? I, I mean, he probably listens to that call on a daily basis. So. Who do you think I talked through the intro with? I mean, who, who gave? Who do you think gave me the idea for it? I mean, come on. Speaking John of Sanders. <laughs> speaking of, and, and shout out to John Sanders who provided the call on that. Um, Speaking of Bill Selby, a couple people hit us up over the weekend. They're playing the new outside-the-park or out-of-the-park baseball, and they I think two people got Bill Selby virtual cards on the out-of-the-park game, and they had Wasn't to, to show it Wasn't he faceless in one of them? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty much uh, – I think that's spot on for his career. Just a faceless guy that had one huge moment. Yeah, but the greatest thing about him is that – a lot of people are, like, tired if they're only known for one moment or one thing. and They don't want to hear about that game where they did that thing. He loves it. So I yeah. always appreciated that about him. Yeah, I mean, it's not just any big moment yet. It's against arguably the greatest closer of all time. All of famed sort of reliever here. So that's one to remember for the rest of your life and to tell your kids about and grandkids about and just continue that on down. And Speaking of uh, nameless, faceless Cleveland Indians players, should we uh, dissect this opening day roster? Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time for that, do we? We might need more time to explain. I just had a birthday party for my, my son, Ethan, who is turning five coming up this week. That's crazy to think, but there he is, five years old. And my dad said something about, I'm not really familiar with 
many of these players on the Indians roster. And I said, join the rest of the fan base <laughs> who now needs to know who in the hell these players are. We'll get to that coming up because we do have some insight and some thoughts on what the opening day roster will look like. But we teased it out in the last episode about halfway through and that was sort of a test to see who listens halfway through the podcast what we found out uh, greater than a small handful of people already have joined us over at Patreon where we will now be doing midweek episodes for the low low price of a buck per episode and you and I when we initially thought about doing it we weren't sure what the the reaction would be we got so many messages more than I was expecting from people saying absolutely please provide us with additional Selby's Godcast content I'm willing to pay for it and so we took that all into account launched a Patreon and then we didn't know if anybody would join we haven't even done an episode there yet and already we got like uh, to the 20s now people have joined without having seen any product. That's unbelievable. Speaks to the incredible passion of the Selby is Godcast listenership. I have to say, and um, the one thing is, you know, it's it's going to be a dollar per extra episode per week. We don't plan to record 10,000 extra episodes a month just to uh, run your bank accounts dry. But I will say, it doesn't matter how minute the news is coming out of um, the organization, we are inundated with tweets and messages saying, emergency episode, Adam Plutko got traded, emergency episode, someone made the team as the eighth reliever. I love that bit. It will never get old to me, so keep doing that because um, it's funny and, you know, it's nice to know that you guys want more content. Uh, we we will run through this quickly. We won't be able to do this in the future if we get too many people, but since you were the first few that joined up, I have to give shout-outs to Bradley, Jeff, James, Zach, not you, David, Ethan, no, that's not my son, Jonathan, Specter, Chip, Eddie, Jesse, Matt, Michael, Justin, Drew, Mark, Matthew, Christopher, Nathaniel, Ian, Mitchell. No, these are not chapters in the Bible. These are the new patron supporters over at patreon.com slash selbyisguidecast. So our hats are off to you. You guys are incredible. We haven't even gotten anything up on the page, and uh, you've already joined up. So if you would like to find the exclusive additional bonus Selby is Godcast content, find us over at patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast, where we plan on launching coming up later this week, just in time for opening day. Who would have thought April 1st is here? <laughs> one, one of 162. Look at us. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> Not me. I could I probably say that for a few of the guys that made this Indians roster. Not me. Well, I didn't I mean, see this. Not me. Go go back and listen to this podcast in early February, and if you try to find that episode where we said Ben Gamble and <laughs> Ahmed Rosario would be the center field tandem, I don't think it exists. Yeah, that's. I mean, I even said it semi-jokingly on Twitter. He was in the mix, but I thought for sure when they sent down Mercado and Zimmer was having a solid-ish spring, that would have meant that they're going to give Zimmer a shot at center field, some sort of runway into that job, and it didn't happen. He got sent down a couple of days later, and I mean, we did say Gamble was part of that mix, but now he's the guy that has the most experience in center field on the roster. Didn't think that was going to happen when they signed him, but here we are. I think it speaks to a few things, but what was your initial takeaway when they have no Zimmer, no Mercado, 
the guys that were supposed to be leading the center field job charge are nowhere to be found. Two things. Number one, I think it says a lot about where Bradley Zimmer is in his career that he couldn't land an opening day roster spot with this lackluster competition. You couldn't beat out Ben Gamble, who's played he's played 38 games there in the majors. Couldn't beat out Ahmed Rosario, who's played center field for two and a half weeks. Um, that's I, it, an issue. It, it might even speak to the organization's thoughts here because it wasn't like Zimmer was bad. Right. And he's 28 years old, and if he can't win a job in this environment, I think he's done here. I I just I don't see what he can prove at AAA where they're like, okay, this guy's ready to take charge and be the center fielder now. Because the other thing is, the best case scenario for this team, and what I think they hope happens, is Ahmed Rosario picks up center field pretty quickly, and he's your guy. Um, but, you know... To, you're, there are going to be growing pains. It's going to be a progress, uh, a process. And Ben Gamble is going to be the guy who kind of eases Ahmed Rosario's transition. That's an upset. Yeah, and I, I think it speaks to their belief that Rosario can pick up that position. And we said in this last uh, podcast that it was difficult to see to map out a, a scenario where Rosario, Ahmed Rosario. And Yu Chang makes sense on the opening day roster. What we didn't foresee at the time is Zimmer not being part of the team. And so therefore, Rosario, uh, at least based on their the way that they've acted here, looks like he's going to be an outfielder almost exclusively. Unless we see some either injuries or guys just being terrible on the infield. I that was the only way that I think that those two could coexist because Yu Chang is not going to get ever any at bats if Ahmed Rosario is playing mm-hmm. this super utility role. So the fact that that happened, I think, tells us something about their 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 belief that Rosario can pick up center field. And if they're doing this so that he can get at bats, if they're not playing Mercado, if they're not playing Zimmer, in the the goal to get Rosario to the plate as much as possible, completely understand it, and I sort of agree with it. But if the end outcome here is Ben Gamble getting 450 at-bats as your everyday or <laughs> something close to an everyday center fielder, at least occupying the fat side of the platoon, I don't think I see where this is going. So this a lot of, yep. a lot will depend on Ahmed Rosario and what he does in center field, but I think you don't make this move if you don't believe that he's going to be out there. Um, and I, I would say at this point I would be surprised unless he's just absolutely dreadful out in center field if he doesn't emerge semi-quickly as the primary starting center fielder. Yeah, and Ben Gamble's a reverse splits guy. So he's a lefty who has fared better against lefties. So it's an even stranger um, pairing out there. Uh, Jordan Luplo could work his way into that mix a little bit too. There's going to be a lot of mixing and matching and platooning. I think you're going to see Yu Chang at first base against left-handed pitching. Um, it's it's a roster that the puzzle pieces don't seem like they quite fit. And I don't know that they're ever going to fit this year. Because we're going to see Oscar Mercado at some point. We're going to see Daniel Johnson at some point. We're probably going to see Bobby Bradley at some point. But I don't know. I mean, you're going to see Nolan Jones at some point. But I don't know what the path is 
to each of those people receiving an extended look. And so in some ways it makes this year a little more intriguing in past years. The regular season was kind of boring. Um, this year it's like, I, I have no idea what the position player side of things is going to look like a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, four months from now. But I can tell you each of those stages will probably look different than the previous. Yeah. Um, so it, at least that's interesting, can hold your attention. Well, we've been on this train of needing to answer a lot of questions about a number of different guys pretty much all offseason. So if the end result here is to find out about Ahmed Rosario and to get Yu Chang some at-bats, and if, if that's where you end up, then I understand it, and I'm completely okay with it. To come back to a thought that I've had many times over the past several weeks, you got to find out about Ahmed Rosario, and apparently it's not going to be at shortstop, so you got to find some place to play because he he might be part of your future still, um, and that might be in center field, and clearly his athleticism, as far as his tools go, he should have the ability to play center field, but tools don't always translate into the actual ability to go play center field. So we'll see, but you need to get that guy at bats. And the one thing they couldn't do was just bury him on the bench and then bury Yu Chang at AAA and never find out about some of the, the young players that are even behind them. And so if, if all of, if, if their moves here signal that they're going to go in a direction of answering some of these questions, then great. And I am so here for it. But if they <laughs> come back to it, I like Ben Gamble as a backup fourth outfielder. I think that's a really good role for him because he draws a few walks. He gets on base. You have the ability to put him all three spots. He he can play against lefties and righties. If he has to occupy uh, you know, a starting spot for a couple of days in the week because a guy's got a sore thumb or a bum hamstring or something, that I'm fine with that. I think that's a great role for him. But <laughs> to come back to it, if this is, well, we got to do all this because you got to find at-bats for Ben Gamble, I'm, I'm going to be pretty disappointed in that outcome. You know, it's funny. You tease me because I do, like, a new roster projection every month or so. And I remember early in spring training, I had Ben Gamble on the team as that backup outfielder, the guy who can play all three spots. And every time I included that, he was in there every time. And, I, and people would always say, man, like, that is not, I do not want him anywhere near the roster. And, you know, it was just a sense of they like his tools. They like the fact he can play all three. They like the fact that he was much more capable at the plate than Billy Hamilton. Um, they He's like the energy incredible he hair. I mean, great hair. The hair should get him on the bulls. roster. Yeah. Um, and he's only 20. I mean, he's young. I think he's at the same age or young, a little younger than Bradley Zimmer. So like, you know, the funny thing is that it ended up not being the case of him being like the fifth outfielder. Uh, he might be your starting center fielder for a bit. So I didn't even see that coming. Um, it's very strange. I mean, the the path it took to get here where they came into spring training hoping and praying Oscar Mercado would showcase that he is the guy from 2019 and that was just the stepping stone and he could be even better and he'd be the center fielder for the next five years. That didn't pan out. And so now the question with him is, I mean, who knows what his future holds? You know, they never gave Daniel Johnson a chance in center field. They stuck Josh Naylor in right. So that opened up first base, but it clogged up the outfield a little bit. Um, the, the the path that they've t taken to get to this point, <laughs> yeah. where it's going to be Gamble, Rosario, and maybe Luplo in center field, is 
Not one anyone anticipated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might see opening day Jordan Luplo out in center field. Which, if he has to play there in an emergency, I get it. But I didn't envision the opening day <laughs> starting lineup with Jordan Luplo in center field. But uh, I, I think the end result here, to keep coming back to it, and I keep stressing it because I think it's so very important, Amin Rosario needs to play. And if this is the path forward to getting him at-bats, I am for it. You need to do that. Oh, by the way, to answer your question, six months older Gamel is than Zimmer. So they're basically the same. And again, it tells you, like, I don't know. If they need a center fielder for some reason, you know, if Rosario gets hurt, if Gamble doesn't hit, is Zimmer the guy you're turning to first? Uh, I have no idea. And how far into the season are we? Because if yeah. Daniel Johnson has occupied some some time in center field, could he get a shot before either one of those two guys? I think that's a very possible scenario. Uh, you could make the case that it should have already happened and that he should have been in the mix from the beginning. But that's neither here nor there. It has been here. We have made that case. <laughs> I know. I'm just testing everyone that listens every single week. I know who you are because I see the stats. We do have some answers there. We do have an answer at first base. You you termed it pretty perfectly in that this was a handicap match with <laughs> the ability on Bowers and his handicap partner, the fact that he had uh, no minor league options left. It was pretty much a... Did you see the match? No DQ. <laughs> it was handi- pretty crazy. Handicap match with his partner holding a steel chair for the entire thing. And then still, Bobby Bradley found a chance to kick out at two multiple <laughs> times after multiple finishers and chair shots, but still, in the end, that no option was too much to overcome. Exactly, yeah. And the ref didn't see it. Um, <laughs> you know, you had the, the fans going crazy when Bradley kicked out. They, Jake Bowers, like, I almost feel bad for the guy. I mean, he did not hit in 2019. He was very disappointing. I think the Indians were disappointed. He had a lot of long, difficult conversations with Terry Francona. And, you know, it needs to be said, he did not, for whatever reason, they never called upon him in 2020 when they had one of the worst outfields in Major League history. And Bowers could have played some left field. And instead, he just remained at the alternate site all season. But the way that Bobby Bradley has won over fans and in turn has kind of turned Jake Bowers into the heel here is unbelievable. And especially when you consider all the projection systems, as we've talked about, say that both guys are probably going to be below average players. <laughs> yeah. So in the grand scheme, neither one of them is the long term answer at first base. Yeah, it's it's not like this was a heavyweight bout for the world title. This was like a cruiserweight match. I mean, it's um, Yeah, I guess with that, those body changes, he could probably go for the cruiserweight championship <laughs> now. So, look, we've said this I I am more interested in seeing what Bobby Bradley can do because the skill set number 1 I think is more exciting for fans. Number 2 um I think it's it's more of just like the unknown. Like I want to see what a guy with 35 home run, 220 strikeout potential can do over an extended period. And with Jake Bowers, it's more of just like, okay, he draws some walks here and there and maybe hits like 15 home runs. Like that's – I'd rather see what Bobby Bradley can do. However, we have told you on this podcast, I have written this for months. Like this was never going to be a fair fight. 
And I can't stress enough because people have mocked like the media for saying that, hey, just letting you know, it's probably still going to be Jake Bowers on opening day. This is how the team thinks. You have to put yourself in the team's position and, and understand what they're looking for. I saw people who are trying to be like media members or trying to be authorities on this stuff, like giving you daily statistic battles between Bowers and Bradley. That shit doesn't matter. Teams don't evaluate things that way. Yes, Bobby Bradley deserved this, and it sends a poor message when this guy puts in so much work, loses all this weight, gets stronger, and has a great camp and doesn't make the team. But everybody is aware of the situation. And even Bobby Bradley knew that he was fighting an uphill climb here because Jake Bowers was out of options and is only a few months older than Bobby Bradley, and the team still wanted to get one last good look at him. So I think it's disappointing because fans kind of like set themselves up and they had some help with people who kept like pumping this up. Like, Hey, Bobby Bradley is only had five strikeouts this spring and Jake Bowers has had eight. Like that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but I also, it's, they, they just, I just, I feel bad because I think some fans got caught up in this where they just assumed Bobby Bradley would get this chance and they were really excited to see him. And I, it's just like we've been saying the whole time, like temper your expectations. They evaluate things differently. They don't just go off 30 at-bats in spring training where shit is weird and it's a small sample size. I think it's a testament to Bobby Bradley, however, that he made it as close as he did. And even Chris Antonetti indicated mm-hmm. today that it was a consideration that they were going to let Jake Bowers go. And I, going into spring training, I would have thought there would have been no shot whatsoever of Bobby Bradley taking that job, but he played well enough that I questioned it. You know, And I think he played well enough that they internally had to question it themselves. But it comes back to the thought that it's irreversible. Once you lose Jake Bowers, he's gone. If you send Bobby Bradley to the minors, you keep him. You maintain some depth here. I think multiple things are true in this situation. One... I don't think either one of them are the long-term answer, more than likely. Two, I think Bobby Bradley would be more fun because the skill set of a guy that launches a bunch of home runs is is more sexy than someone that probably arrives at the same run creation rate but does it by maybe getting a few doubles, maybe stealing some bases and walking a bit more but never really putting together a strong batting average, which is the profile that Jake Bowers has been so far. And then third... I totally get wanting one last look at Bowers here because Bobby Bradley's going to be there. You go four weeks, five weeks, six weeks into this season, and Jake Bowers just stinks, then they're going to go to Bobby Bradley. He's right there. They're going to get this this last look at someone that wasn't that long ago was uh, a top 100 even, was he top 50 for some prospect in the the race system? 45 at one point. So you're going to be the only look you have at this guy is when he was 23 years old, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the last look you get at somebody, and then that's it, and then you're moving on. For someone that isn't even clear that it's going to be a, that much of an upgrade if, it, if he's an upgrade at all. So I I I understand. I I get wanting one last look at Bowers. Do I think he is going to prove worthy of that last look? I'm real skeptical of it at this point because I'm watching the Dodgers broadcast yesterday and they're talking about Jake Bowers winning the job and the announcers said something about oh you're having a strong spring and then he looked at the numbers oh 
I don't really know how to frame this, <laughs> but he won the job. And it and it's true because you look at the numbers, you say, how did somebody that's hitting 150 win a job at anything other than packing Christmas trees like Jake Bowers once did several winters ago? <laughs> and he told me, told me about one, a couple of springs. Yeah, that was when I found out that, uh, yeah, I suck at putting Christmas trees in cars. I better be a baseball player. Well, he absolutely better find out how to be a baseball player or else he's going to have to go back to that. But I understand it. I know where the team is coming from in this situation. If I had a stronger indication that Bobby Bradley was going to be uh, not even a star but a, a really solid bat, then I think it would be foolish. But at this point, I can't say that with, with any sort of definitive truth that I know Bobby Bradley is going to be better so put that guy in the minor leagues give Jake Bowers this semi-prolonged shot and then if a month or a month and a half into the season he still stinks then you're gone and you can feel good you don't have to worry and if he goes somewhere else and has this tremendous amount of success you can still point back to this and say we gave it one last shot it just didn't work here yeah and as we've said the theme of this season is learning right? It's identifying who is part of the present and the future and who can you finally move on from because there's some clutter, especially on the position player side of things. So the, the most efficient way to learn about your first base candidates are to let Bowers have the first turn, then go to Bobby Bradley. And guess what? It's possible neither's the guy. It's very possible <laughs> that neither of them is the long-term solution. Nolan and Jones, say hello in July. Yeah, and you move Josh Naylor back to his natural position of first base, throw Nolan Jones in right field or Daniel Johnson in right field. Um, that's very possible. That's why I think it's why I don't see this team being a legitimate contender because they have to learn about people and they have to allow guys to fail. And you can't, you know, you have to allow Jake Bowers to fail instead of just cutting ties with him. Otherwise, there's a chance he ends up being the next. Yandy Diaz or someone like that. Yeah, I mean, you can come back to Gio Urshela, and you know, it's it's so it was such a weird turn of events that led to him eventually getting sent off the roster because he got hurt in the last week of spring training. I think it was a hamstring, and he just was on fire that spring training, and it looked like he was going to get that roster spot. And then Eric Gonzalez got handed that job because Gio had to start the year on the the disabled list, and when it came back to making a decision later in the year. Eric Gonzalez had had some success in the, at the major league level, so they opted to stick with, with Eric Gonzalez and not Geo. If Geo doesn't get hurt and have that hamstring problem right there towards the end of camp, he probably makes the team because pretty much anybody I talked to um, around the team and coaches, everyone felt like Urshela would have been a better fit for that job, given he's got a, a quicker swing, doesn't need as much maintenance on the swing, uh, can probably play more spots better than Eric Gonzalez can. And yet it was this weird, fluky thing at the end of spring training that and he ended up off the roster and then goes elsewhere and eventually turns into one of the better third basemen in the league. So it, it's weird how that happens, but you just want to be sure. You want to be sure about mm -hmm. these guys. And not have that happen. Do I think it's going to happen with Jake Bowers? No. No, I really don't. I'm, I'm severely skeptical that that's going to be the case. But I get it. I, I understand wanting to see this this one one last shot. Yeah, and especially, I mean, it's it's been so difficult to just evaluate player development for the last 12 months. And so 
it's it's not just Bowers, but it's with all these guys. Like it's really difficult to judge to gauge where these guys are, and to do that based on a month in Arizona when pitchers are only throwing one pitch and the ball's flying out of the park and just you're facing low A guys one day and major leaguers the next. It's tough to evaluate that. So I think they want some time during the regular season in a normal setting where they can determine, all right, we didn't have a minor league season last year, but did this guy make progress? Did this guy figure anything out at the alternate site? And go from there. It's, you know, this is a transition year. You're going from one era to the next. And in order for that next era to be successful, you have to determine who deserves to be a part of it and who doesn't. On the position player side, there are absolutely a lot of weird fits and things. We're going to have to wait and see how the puzzle comes together. And it felt like that, too, I I thought, with Adam Plutko getting a spot in the bullpen. It was like, "Uh, we don't want to lose him sort of thing, so throw him in the bullpen. He doesn't really profile as someone you would think would be a a strong reliever. It's not like him adding a couple of miles per hour is going to take him up into the 97, 98, 99 range like you you see so many relievers now to truly stand out and be special. But at the same time, it's like, what else do you do with the guy? And I am, as far as personal things go, I'm so happy for for Adam Plutko getting a shot at starting somewhere, like like Baltimore, where he's going to get a prolonged opportunity to just go pitch. And it's not like the Indians, if he goes out and he's, a good three or four for Baltimore. I, I think everyone in the organization can feel happy because they've got so much starting pitching and Adam Pluck goes nowhere near the the top of the list of guys that they want to find out about in, in 2021. So I, when that news came across yesterday, I was so pleased for him because now he gets a shot to go somewhere and just go start games and we can find out what this guy is. Yeah. And, and, you know, for him, a guy who, has bounced up and down between AAA and the majors, has bounced between a relief role and a starting role sometimes with like 10 minutes notice. Um, Good for him because he'll get an opportunity where maybe he can get 25, 30 starts and he's got his first, he's eligible for arbitration next year. So maybe he can, he can get that first um, legitimate payday and, and cash in. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, he, it was clear, kind of tying it back to what we were just saying, it's clear like he was not part of the future. Um, he's on the older side. They have enough guys that they want to see in that, that sort of role with Logan Allen, Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, who were all top 100 prospects or still are in McKenzie's case. The interesting thing is I- I'm a little surprised by this just because they don't have the depth that they've had in past years. And Plucko was part of that depth, but you know you're going to be really cautious with Tristan McKenzie. He's not throwing 200 innings. Um, Logan Allen has not pitched a full season in the major leagues. Cal Quantrill has not pitched a full season in the in the major leagues. And these guys had very limited workloads last year. So yeah, you're leaning on Bieber, Plesac, and Savali to eat up innings, and then those other three guys will probably just cover the last two spots in the rotation. And they'll probably mix and match. They'll piggyback. They'll use openers. Um, but beyond those six, there's not much. <laughs> like Eli Morgan might be next. Scott Moss. Sam Hedges. But those are three guys who need some work, who are not don't really carry the same um, potential that 
even like Plesak and Savali did. So uh, Hentges does, but he's uh, he needs time. Uh, but it, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, they a, a, an injury to one of those six guys would be a pretty debilitating blow. Um, and this rotation, while it has tons of potential, again, three top 100 guys at the back end. Bieber is the maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Plesak and Savali, I think they're hoping turn into like legitimate number two, number three types this season. But after that, like it's you know there's a pretty seismic gap between those six and and what you have elsewhere. So they need those guys to take steps forward and stay healthy. I think it speaks to their their thought on that happening that they're going to. That they are sending Plutko away. But the other thing to keep in mind, too, you lose some depth from the starting rotation standpoint by sending Plutko to the bullpen. Because it's it's not as if, okay, let's say you have an injury. You can't just slide Plutko into the starting rotation and expect him to go throw four or five innings if he's been logging one inning of relief whenever Tito can mix him in. So it was going to be difficult to keep him stretched out. So even him sticking around, if he was going to be on the big league roster, you're losing that as a starter because you can't keep him stretched out. You can't have him throw two innings on the mound and then send him back out to the bullpen like in spring training. It's not going to work. So I understand your your thought, but I also think this tells you where they're at on their starting depth, and they must feel pretty good about it to... To trade him away, but it was just a weird fit. I don't think he's occupying a spot in the bullpen that one of these other uh, intriguing guys I think could eventually fill. And maybe it doesn't happen initially, and they're going to go with some non-roster guys, guys that are veterans that have been around, like Brian Shaw and, and, and Ali Perez. But him being in the bullpen and just sitting there because you like him personally and you think, yeah, this guy maintains some depth for us. I don't know. I I think that that spot would be better served by giving yeah. one of the younger guys eventually a shot in that bullpen and actually keeping that spot as a weapon as opposed to just a roster spot that someone is occupying. I think I disagree. Um, kind of. I, I think this is... I think the Indians are going to operate kind of like the Rays this year. Um, I think you're going to have those three set. Bieber, Plesak, Savali. I think they'll pitch every five days. And then I think they're going to get creative. I mean, I think you'll see Logan Allen sometimes. I think you'll see McKenzie go for a couple innings. Quantrill come in behind him or McKenzie go for a couple innings and Logan Allen or Logan Allen and then McKenzie. Um, But I think it would have made sense. I mean, again, what's McKenzie's ceiling? 120 innings maybe? Yeah. And even that might be pushing it. Um, Quantrill and Logan Allen, like I don't think those guys are throwing 180. So I, I think there is room for Plutko to just like bounce back and forth between, you know, maybe you want to skip McKenzie's start one time through the rotation because he's going to, that innings total is going to creep up. And so you throw Plutko in a spot start. Like there, there are opportunities. Can't, and I think, can't Trevor, I don't, Ste- can't Trevor Steffen sort of occupy that role? Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be an opener at times. Um, but again, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I, you are using a bullpen spot on a guy. And I think they're going to – I think they're going to have a shuttle from Columbus where you have relievers going up and down. If you have options and you're not James Karinchek and you're not maybe Emmanuel Classe, like you might get sent down just because I think they're going to try to keep everybody fresh. And, and you're going to need reinforcements because there are going to be days where McKenzie's starting and 
you know, you can only bank on him for maybe four innings, maybe five innings. Like they're just, they're going to be bullpen days and piggybacking and all sorts of weird shit. And I think it, it's sometimes it's just nice to have that guy who can give you multiple innings if you need it. Yeah, I think I mean I I'm not disagreeing with what you're and saying. Stefan can, but I I mean I th- I don't think he's pitched more than an inning and a third this spring. Yeah, I know he's been a yeah, starter. Yeah, I don't I don't but... think they're gonna run him out there for four innings, but could he no. stretch out to two or three on occasion if need be? I mean, he clearly has that sort of pedigree because he's been a starter before, like many guys have. I I think they could navigate it, but we'll we'll see on that. I. I think we're just going to have to disagree about that spot, but we'll both agree that it's a great opportunity for Plutko that he has he deserves based on just how he's handled himself and kind of evolved. It's not very often you see someone evolve into being a, a leader when, I mean, what even was his role <laughs> on the team? It was really weird to figure out how that sort of guy was going to be a leader, but he, he absolutely was. Um, but They need a new player rep and a new assistant player rep. That's that true. Lindor and Plutko. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but we could see some weird shit even as soon as Game 4. Antonetti alluded to that today, that they're going to go with Logan Allen as the bulk guy in that game, but maybe he starts the game, or maybe Tristan opens that game, or maybe they go in a different direction. You know, I we've talked a lot about how they're going to manage McKenzie's innings. We both agreed it wasn't going to be him coming in to throw five and six innings right off the, the start of the year. They're going to manage that and try to probably try to backload that as best as possible. And one way you could do it, it, keep him in the mold of starting still, is let him go open. Let him go throw two innings and then bring in Logan Allen to go clean it up after that and let him go another four, five, six, however long after that. But I think we're going to see all sorts of interesting things when it comes to how they manage the, the back end, the back two spots between those three guys. Yeah, and it's just again if if those two McKenzie and Allen are a tandem, and then you eventually need a fifth starter and Quantrill is that guy, well, then you're a little short in the bullpen, and then you know if Quantrill can only go four innings, five innings, who's filling in behind him? I mean, I it just it feels like they need one more reinforcement who can give you some length. Maybe that's Sam Hentges eventually. That would be fun. Lefty-righty with him and Quantrill. Um, but I don't know. There, there's time to figure it out. They benefit from having a whole boatload of off days in the first few weeks. Um, but then I just think they've got a homestand at the end of April that's like goes like Twins, White Sox, Yankees, which might be the three best lineups in the American League. And boy, you better have your pitching set up and everyone kind of feeling sharp on the mound and making sure you have enough arms ready to go because that could absolutely wear you out over 10 days. And sharp, sharp sharpness, sh- sharp, whatever that is. Sharp acuity? Has not been in high demand as far as the pitchers go, especially the starters in spring training. You, you really don't know how much to read into that. I think it's nice to see Bieber just have a Bieber-like outing no matter who he's facing uh, against the Dodgers on, on Saturday. Um, so you, you kind of go into the season feeling, okay, there, you, you've seen vintage Bieber. You know it's there, nothing you have to worry about. But you know, guys like Plesak and Savali don't have the track record. You you believe in their stuff, and you've seen it in small samples, especially Plesak last year. Uh, when he was on the mound, he was one of the better pitchers in the American League. But 
neither one of those guys has been particularly sharp, especially Savali here late has stubbed his toe. And then Logan Allen has been terrific, but McKenzie has not been great. Quantrill absolutely has not been great. So what is your... What's your where, where are you at on that group just entering the year? Is there any concern at all considering not a lot of these guys have much of a track record or do you just believe, eh, this, this coaching staff, they can figure it out because they have so many times before? No, I think there's definitely concern. I think it's warranted. I, it's just, Plesak's the oldest starter on this team of that group of six. He's the oldest one. He just turned 26. Like, these guys don't have a ton of experience. And while they have potential, you know, there are always growing pains. And, I mean, think about, like, remember Danny Salazar came up and was incredible his rookie year in 2013, started the wild card game. And then the next year, he got sent to the minors because he just he couldn't avoid big innings. And the year after that comes up, and I think it was like some more up and down. And um, finally, in was it 2016, he was an all-star. Um, that was his fourth year in the majors. So, like, this shit takes time. And it's not as simple as Logan Allen was a top 100 prospect, and he looked really good in spring training. And so... Here, here you go. Send him off. He'll throw 160 innings and he'll be great. That might happen, but while if he does that, then I wouldn't be surprised if McKenzie has some struggles and has to figure things out. And you know, maybe Cal Quantrill. Like some guys will make, they'll develop, and some guys will have regression. It's just how it always works, and that's why I come back to like, you know, there isn't. I'd feel more comfortable if I were them if if you had one more guy who was like major league ready and had some prospect pedigree. Maybe Eli Morgan and his great changeup can be that guy and he'll surprise just like Aaron Savali did when nobody knew who he was. Maybe Scott Moss will surprise and, and be able to make a handful of, of effective spot starts. But I, I do think there's some concern and everyone says, oh, like the pitching will keep them in games, but the hitting will probably be the reason why they're not. And, I think that this is going to be a year where they lose some frustrating games one nothing, and they lose some frustrating games eight to seven. And uh, you know, I I think it's the pitching has a ton of potential, um, but they still need a lot to go right, and they need guys to just grow up in a hurry, and that doesn't always happen. Shout out to Andy who just became a supporter as we were recording this. Um, so glad you brought up. Danny Salazar, because this is a conversation we've had First before. time anyone's ever said that, I think. We have talked about that wild card game, and it, it wasn't Masterson because he had gotten hurt, and so he was going to be this multi-inning guy because he hadn't built himself back up. So he wasn't ready to start that playoff game. They used Ibaldo in the, the final game of the season to make sure they clinched that spot. So he wasn't available to start that game. And next in line was Danny Salazar. And no one argued with that because he was absolutely dazzling in 2013. Um, and it was an uh, intriguing thought that he was going to go take on Tampa Bay. The one guy that did not get an opportunity and was nowhere in the conversation, despite having an okay-ish year, was Corey Kluber. <laughs> That's just Ooh. amazing. In 2013, there was no Masterson available. There was no Ebaldo Jimenez available. You went with Danny Salazar, no one argued, and Corey Kluber was just left to do nothing. And one year later, he ends up claiming the Cy Young. I bring it up because 
I think Terry Francona deserves some credit for this. Entering 2014 spring training, Kluber would go out and have his starts. He'd talk to the manager after the game like normal. And after one of his starts, Tito said, and I, I can still remember this quote to this day, that Corey Kluber has the capability of being one of the best pitchers in the league. And I, I, I remember when he, when he said that, I about fell over. Because what we had seen of Corey Kluber, when he came up initially, he looked like maybe a fifth starter on his best day and maybe best suited to being a long... Kind of like the Plucko role. Five and a half starter, where he's sort of your five, but he's also somewhere in the pen. He's exactly Adam Plutko. And you didn't really see the, the stardom when he first arrived. And then in, in 2013, he was solidish. It was really a conversation of who has the better outlook, him or Zach McAllister. <laughs> uh, but you know, by the end of the year, he was he had put himself on the radar as this is a guy that's part of our rotation for the foreseeable future. And, and for Tito to say that in 2014, it was absolutely shocking. And I, I think I even wrote and I talked about it in, in some of my hits afterwards on the radio. Tito saying that and me just being absolutely skeptical. Like, I can't believe that he would say something like, Corey Kluber, who is this guy to say that Corey Kluber is one of, could be one of the best pitchers in the league? And later in the year, as Corey Kluber was storming his way towards the Cy Young, I brought up that quote again to Tito and I said... I want to give you credit for saying that, but I I have to think that even you are surprised <laughs> that where he's at. <laughs> and he still kind of gave me that look like, no, I thought it was in there. Now, I think he's being semi-facetious because I really don't think anyone foresaw him being the Cy Young winner that year. But that was one of the – when you think of spring training misses, things that you just completely whiffed on, it's so often to go to the, the category of, of players that you thought were going to be good and then completely fell on their face – it's probably a little bit more rare for it to be the other way around. But as far as spring training misses, things that I completely whiffed on, it's one of the first things that I think of. That Tito mm. Tito called it out in 2014 before that year that Corey Kluber was going to be great. And I did not believe him at all. Yeah, there have been so many. Usually it's, I think this guy's going to be awesome, and then he's just not even on the roster by June 1st. Um I mean, one is that sticks out is Brandon Moss, who it's a little different because they signed him. They planned for him to be kind of a middle-of-the-order bat. But I remember that spring just – I don't know if it was so much because of, of his hitting that spring, but just the way he talked and the way guys talked about him. I thought this dude was going to hit 40 home runs and be a middle-of-the-order guy, and then um, he didn't even make it through the season and got traded. Um, there was he a had spring. At least had some success. It's not like that was a crazy idea. Yeah, he was coming off was hitting sp- two home runs in that wild card game. That's right. There was a spring when this team added every first baseman who ever existed. <laughs> um, they claimed they claimed Chris McGinnis in the Rule Five draft. They had Russ Kansler shuffling in and out. They had. <laughs> I wish I could remember the guy's name. I want to say like Mike McDade or something like that. Um, And then there was a guy named David Cooper. And now one of these guys might have been like the previous spring or a spring later. But I thought, I thought with one of these guys, like someone was going to emerge. Maybe, and it may be McGinnis because he was a rule five pick. They liked him. I thought one of these guys was going to emerge. It's like the next Jim Tomey. And I remember thinking, like, man, they have so so much potential here. Like, how are they going to decide between all these guys? And 
Um, none of them ever did anything. I don't even know if any of them, like I know Kanzler played a little bit in 2012, I think, but um, McGinnis never played for him. McDade never played for him. David Cooper had like, I remember talking to his doctor because he was a guy who had some crazy, I think a back procedure. And then like none of these guys ever amounted to anything. Um, but it was like, you could just picture it in your head as you're getting to know these players in spring training and then you watch them on the field a little bit. Um, and I think that's kind of the fallacy of spring training in general is that hope springs eternal in 30 camps across the country. And you just have to kind of pitch yourself once in a while or slap yourself in the face maybe is a better way of putting it. Um, yeah, like it's, it's so easy to fall for one of these random players in spring training who either never gets a shot or just doesn't amount to anything. It's gone three weeks into the season. Another one from 2014 as I was looking at it. He had appeared with Cleveland in 2013. I think he was coming back off of Tommy John, if I'm not mistaken. He was with Kansas City, threw extremely hard. It was Blake Wood. And I thought going into 2014, yes. I thought with the velocity that guy could throw with, I thought this guy is going to stick and he's going to be really good out of that bullpen. Well, he managed to last six and a third innings in 2014 with Cleveland. And... Uh, had a 7-11 ERA. Now, in fairness to me, took another couple of years, but in Cincinnati, he came to the Reds and put up a 399 ERA in 2016. So it was somewhere in there, and then the next year was not that great, 545 ERA. But then 2018, his last major league activity, he put up a 231 ERA in 11-2 two thirds innings. But Blake Wood, I thought for sure, because of just the velocity that that guy threw well, with, he was going to yeah. be a... He was going to be a mainstay in that pen. That's that's a good one because it's it's the spring training prototype of, you know, you're watching those like five pitchers in a row throwing bullpens or warming up for an appearance, and like Austin Adams, always you could you could see, you could just tell this dude's throwing 98 right. He never he never stuck with Cleveland. Uh, he never had success, but it was another guy where he throws hard. It looks really pretty in spring training, and um, you can fall for it and look foolish. And also, we we just have so much more ability to. Okay, this guy throws ninety eight, ninety nine, but is it just getting killed because he doesn't spin it well? It's not very effective. He leaves it in fat parts of the zone. Like what? We we can look so much more beyond just the radar gun. But at the time, you go, yeah, that dude throws ninety eight. <laughs> Put him in the bullpen. Why not? We're just so much better at it now, so yeah. give ourselves I have a, a, uh, a random Indian for you along those lines. Oh, ready? man, I am so ready. All right. This guy never pitched for the Indians. Well, you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google <laughs> Stitcher, Spotify. Um, but he was in the organization for uh, most of a season. <laughs> okay. He was 32 years old at the time. And he is 40 years old now. So I'll let you do the math. Okay. Got it. So far, I'm following. He did pitch in the major leagues with other teams. Um, looks like two teams. And he has pitched all over the world. Oh, boy. He did pitch in AAA with the Indians. Made 19 starts, 392 ERA, almost a strikeout per inning. 
Mm. I'm surprised he never got a shot. I'm thinking of... Uh, he's not this old yet. I was trying to think of guys that didn't pitch for the Indians but had some major league pedigree, and the one that I was thinking of was... Uh, was it a former Rocky starter? Paul Hoynes loved saying his name. Kevin Slowey? No, that's not who I was thinking of. But that that would have also been a tremendous guess. Oh, I think he's still pitching, too. Ah, damn it. I can't think of his name at, off the top of my head. Yeah, this guy ended up making 158 appearances in the majors with two teams. Uh, a 4.45 ERA. Uh, he also made seven postseason starts. 4.79 ERA. Oh... I'm now so caught up in trying to remember who else I'm thinking of that I don't know who your pick is. Is there any other, anything that would give him away? Oh, sure. Um, He signed with Cleveland February of 2013 and was released in August of 2013. He actually was released in March of 2013 and then signed again two days later. Oh, man. And after the Indians cut ties with him in August, two days later, he joined a National League team and joined their rotation right away. Pitched for them in 2014 as well, and that was it. Oh, I can... This is going to drive me crazy because now I actually do know who you're thinking. Did he join the Braves? Nope. It was not the Braves. (laughs) Then who who else? But it was in that division. I don't know. His rookie season, he was fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting in the American League. And the next year, fourth in the Cy Young voting. Shane Bieber-type trajectory. But uh, his third season, he did not win the unanimous Cy Young Award. I can't get it. And it's going to drive me crazy because I, I feel like I know who it is. But I So he was here in 2013. That was Terry Francona's first year as manager. Mm-hmm. They knew each other very well. From Boston. <laughs> I picked that part up. <laughs> I don't know. And it's driving Spent me insane. Six years with Boston, then two with the Mets. Pretty uh, popular guy during his career. Oh, man. Boy, you are just getting ripped to shreds by everybody listening in their cars. That's fine, because they've never been in this position. They've <laughs> never been on the hot seat. They don't know what it's like. All right, you give up? Yes, I gave up a long time ago. Dice K Matsuzaka, come on. Oh, my gosh. I completely forgot that he was even part of that. What? That's a memory that I had long forgotten. Yeah, I remember at one point it seemed like they were going to call him up during the summer, and they never did. I was surprised by that. Um, obviously, that year, the rotation was pretty good. You had Kazmir. um, you had Kluber and McAllister, as we alluded to. You had Masterson and Ubaldo. Um, and Daisuke never got a shot. So he went to the Mets. <sighs> One of the guys that I was trying to think of is Aaron Harang. <laughs> okay. He was in camp with the Indians in 2014, but never pitched. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the Braves and actually had a pretty solid year uh, with Atlanta. But the one that I'm whiffing on was the former Rockies, I want to say ace. But now I can't remember who it is. Boof Bonser? <laughs> no, it was not. Oh, that's who I was thinking of. Yoli Chassin. 
Ah, uh, yes. Orange Ulysses. Uh, he was in camp with the Indians, but did not make their roster. <laughs> that was that was a good one, because I had completely forgotten. A memory that was long gone. And you've brought it back, so thank you. I will no longer be able to remember what I'm supposed to get at the grocery store now, because you reminded me of Daisuke Matsuzaka. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. Find us on Patreon, uh, where we will be launching our additional midweek episode there later this week. I'm really excited for it. Uh, I know our initial plans, if nothing changes. We're going to be doing uh, a draft this week. And this draft will be unlike any other draft that you've ever been part of, because it will only be Indians players. And we're going to draft based on who we think, with between the two of us, can build more win value for what's going to happen in 2021. So we're only going to look at Indians players. We're only we're going to be able to draft whoever we want, but at the end of the year, I want us to be able to sit down and look at who drafted the most win value, the most war between the two of us. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and in non-nerdy analytics terms, for all you commenters out there, we're going to tell you who's going to have a good season for the Indians and who is not. That's <laughs> a very easy way to go through almost everybody and let you know what we think. So looking forward to that. Thank you to all of you that have signed up over at Patreon. We're so excited to be able to, to bring you an additional episode. And, and like we mentioned before, it's going to go beyond just episodes. We're not exactly sure what it's going to be, but we're going to find a way to do some other exclusive stuff that I'm really looking forward to. And I think will be a lot of fun. All right. Since Zach has already left, I will leave too until later this week. Goodbye, I didn't everybody. Know that. You didn't ask me if I had any final thoughts. I thought we had already mentioned what your final thoughts were. I don't have any anyway. See, why did you even stop the show to make us revisit the fact that you had nothing left to say? We are out of here. Just cover this banter with an, with play the intro again. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. See you in a few days. Happy opening day. So excited it's finally here. We're out of here. See ya.